At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. Give it up for worship team, church. Man, I know I've been saying it, Matt. We're so happy you're here, brother. Man, you guys are amazing. All glory to God. Church, how we feeling? We feeling good this morning? Yeah, we're feeling good. How do you feel to be in the house of the Lord? Yes. Weather's good. Sun's out. This is a great time to dig into the word and get to know what God is trying to teach us today. So real quick, I'm going to embarrass myself for just a moment. I've shared before that that I was able to play collegiate basketball, and and I want to share one of the more embarrassing stories that I had in my very brief uh, career. And um, so how it happened was uh, my freshman year, I played basketball. And we were a pretty good team. And then my sophomore year, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to focus on soccer too much, way too much to have two sports. And then my junior year, uh, we had so many players ineligible that they actually only had four players on the team. So they had recruited all these players, and they ended up having 10 players ineligible for the second semester. So I got a call from the athletic director, and I'm like, all right, I I guess I can play. And so I played. We ended up having 10 players, and it was a very rough season. That's that's the least I can say, all right? And and so I remember one moment, and we were in Kansas City. We were playing a a school over there called uh, Calvary Bible College. And we were playing uh, really well, but we started to just fall behind in the fourth quarter, and, um, or a second half, college, not NBA, and, and the second half, and we ended up being down uh, by three with like 20 seconds left. And so here I am, I'm out in the game, and I'm like, okay, we got to get a three up quick, all right? So the other team, uh, they had just missed a shot, we called a timeout, and so then we had the ball, and so we went, we shot, and we missed, and then they went down, we fouled them, they missed both their free throws. And so then I start running down the court. I'm wide open in the corner, and the player at the time, which I hope is watching online, I love him dearly, uh, he ended up dribbling into a triple team and launching a three-pointer and missing, we lost the game, okay? I was wide open in the corner. Everyone was yelling, pass to Winston, pass to Winston. He literally wanted to make the winning shot. I'm not bitter. And, uh, <laughs> and so after the game, we got into a very verbal altercation, okay? Bible college teams. <laughs> Think about that for a second. And so here's these like, I'm going to read the Bible to you. you know. And so we're fighting and we're bumping chest. And this guy, and I'm not joking, I'm not being facetious, he was planning to be a bodybuilder after college. So I'm like much skinnier than I am now. And this guy is jacked, most likely on some type of substance. And, and, and here we are. 
and, and we're bumping chest, and his, his girlfriend is sitting right next to my girlfriend, which was Amanda, and they're just looking at each other. We're fighting. The game's over. We're supposed to be shaking hands. We're bumping chest. I'm yelling at him. I'm trying to get him to fight me at that point. I'm like, do something. And then, um, and then we go into the locker room, and, and the coach was like, the guy was like, his head was down, and the coach is like, well, uh, the guy, let's say his name's Bob. Well, Bob... Uh, Winston was right. He was wide open. That was your fault. And so that continued for another hour, and then we were good. You know, we shook hands. Uh, but not my finest moment, right? Here I am studying to become a pastor. I I'm preaching every Sunday at different churches in, in Missouri uh, as a supply preacher. And on Saturday, I'm getting on in fights with my team. And, and I think about that because division is a very real thing that affects everyone around them. Whether you're on a team, you're in a church, you're part of a political party, division, it, it touches every single one of us in some capacity. Am I wrong? I mean, I know your families, there's no division, no drama, right? We got no drama. I know our marriages are perfect and united and you levitated in this morning with the power of the Holy Spirit because there's no uh, blemish in your relationships, right? We know, we know that it is so prevalent in, in our lives. And if we're not intentional, it could get really out of hand. So I want to say a statement real quick because this is a statement that I'm fairly confident with and it is this, that we are more divided than ever. We as a, as a country, <laughs> with our relatives, our friends, our, our media figures, our younger people, people our older people, uh, progressive people, conservative people, spiritual people, political people, we are, are more divided than ever. And I've heard this. I'm listening. I'm seeing. And, and the only thing we agree on... <laughs> is that we're not united. The only thing that we tend to be on the same page with is that we're not on the same page. And so when I think about the divisions between uh, ethnicities and gender and political parties and environmental issues and economic issues and, and immigration issues and public health issues, you just go down the line. I was thinking, I was trying to think through, and there are so many things that have caused a stark division with people. And I would go on to say, and, and this is just my opinion, I would say that we are probably more divided now since, since the time of Vietnam. I would say that probably now, all the way back to World War II or, or Vietnam, that we're probably just as, if not more, divided. And the question is, why? You know, what's happened to cause this great division? And it's this alien power by the, by the name of sin. Sin entered this world, and, and since sin entered this world, it's invaded God's good creation and infected each of our hearts and that sin is so real, and we can't talk it down. That sin really is 
potent, and, and I think about that in our world and, and all the division. It, it could be so easy to be crippled by this division, but when it's more terribly tragic, almost on a whole nother level, is when our churches are divided. You know, in one sense, it's, it's normal for the world to be divided, but, it, but it's devastating for the church to be divided against herself. That's just a whole nother level of pain. And, and if we were able to go down the line and talk with every person in this room, including me, we all probably have some type of church hurt. We've all probably experienced something that has pierced our heart, that's broken our hearts, that, has, that have even caused some of us to leave a community that we were engaged with. Or, or maybe even at one point leave this community. Or at one point think, man, man do I want to be here? And, and it's so tragic that this is not as uncommon as we think. And so that's why we're going to take the next five weeks to focus in in a series called Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World. Because again, our world is divided, and so the world can't offer us the answers that, that we're trying to find. But, but I believe that God speaks directly into this topic, and we can experience uh, both reconciliation, uh, reunification. We can experience these things, and, and so we're going to focus in on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to just start at the front and, and read through it. We're going to be focusing on the first three verses today and, and to see some of the context on how we can experience that reunification and unity within our body. So I want to give you a quick background. I know it's important to understand uh, proper context when it comes to uh, a book of the Bible, right? And, and, you know, I'm just giving you just a small piece, a tip of the iceberg of the background of 1 Corinthians. And so if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you know that it was written by a guy by the name of Paul, and it was written to a church that was in Greece, a very interesting town. The town was called Corinth. That's why we get Corinthians. And so these people in Corinth, they had, um, man, it was unique. It was kind of like a melting pot, I guess you could say. You know, there was uh, a lot of people from different nations in this town because it was a main trading route for the Roman Empire. So, you know, Rome wasn't that far away. It was just across the water into Italy. And then that trade route went into Asia, went into the Middle East. And so you would have constant change and, and tr very transient in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and in this society, there were a lot of people that were extremely wealthy, highly uh, impactful on the community, highly educated. And then it was believed that there was a large population of highly impoverished. Even, I was reading, historians believe that up, up to a third of the city of Corinth were slaves. And so you have a very interesting dynamic here in this city where you have people that are the cream of the crop and you have some people that have maybe been brought in through slavery. And so here, Paul 
is writing to these Corinthians, and he's speaking to them, and, and he's calling them to be united in this first section. And actually, our, our main point for today, he's talking that we are called together in Christ. No matter if you're the cultural elite or educated or wealthy or the lower class, less educated, that we all are called together in Christ. And so he's trying to unite them, whether they're uh, on the mansion on the hill or they're in the trailer park. And I think that's important for us to remember because we have that today too. We'd be foolish to think that that's not still alive today. And so I think about some of us, we might be uh, reading the New York Times or the Atlantic, and some of us, the only news we get is by Facebook memes. You know, we're just those kind of people. And, uh, and so no matter where you are on this level, we are all called to be united in Christ. So I want to ask a question to you. What does it mean to be called together in Christ? What does that actually mean? You know, sometimes we make these statements, and, and, and they sound good, but what does that actually mean for us as a church, with many churches in this community, with many Woodside campuses? What does it mean for us to be called together in Christ? And so that's what we're going to focus on in these first couple verses. We'll see the distinct characteristics of those called together in Christ. And the first thing we see is that we are called to holiness. We are called to holiness. Let me jump in and read this uh, first couple verses. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Okay, after identifying himself as the author, that's how we know, we see that he starts to identify his partner, Sosthenes. And Paul then spends the majority of these two verses identifying the recipients of the letter. You know, as he says, he's writing to the church of God. So there's a, a major communal emphasis. He's focusing on the church, right? Not just the person who's sitting alone having their quiet time. He spends extra time emphasizing that he's talking to the community. And so often we, we can isolate and make, okay, it's just me just speaking to me. But there's a lot of times, and especially in the book of 1 Corinthians, where he's just talking to the community. He's talking to all of them. And he says, I'm writing to you, the church, the assembly of God, the collective community of Christ's followers. And then he says those two words that some of us understand, some of us might not, uh, sanctified, right? We are those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And so what do those words mean? You think of sanctified, uh, that really comes down to, to being set apart, made holy. And then you have the word saint, and, and saint means those who are sanctified, the holy ones, the, the set apart ones. And so Paul, in this statement, he's saying, 
this to, to you who are in Christ, you who are sanctified, you who are made holy. You are living in the world, and at the same time, you are distinct from the world. Okay, I've been making fun of my age the last couple weeks. I'm going to make fun of myself again. Uh, so this is more a tradition that, that I grew up with. But I have noticed it's not much of a tradition with uh, younger generations, okay? <laughs> okay. And, uh, and it's this fancy chinaware, all right? When I grew up and I went to grandma's house, when we had our Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving feast, they would go to this specific untouchable cabinet that had glass where you could see in and go, oh, that's so pretty, you know? And then they would go in there and they would open them and then a breeze would hit them. You know, mainly like I think about Smeagol and Lord of the Rings, my precious. And then they would take this chinaware out and they'd set it down and you'd be terrified the whole time. I'm going to break the chinaware, okay? <laughs> so that was something that I grew up with. And then my parents, they had their chinaware. Well, man and I, we chose to avoid investing in chinaware. And we're like, you know what, we, we're going to break stuff. That's just our MO. So we're like, no, we ain't doing it. Well, God has a sense of humor because when her grandfather passed away, he didn't just get us nice uh, American chinaware. He gave us his Saudi Arabian from the Prince of Arabia chinaware that was handed to him when he was working for um, Secret Service, Right? And so they're like, we have all this really nice chinaware given to us from the Prince of Arabia. Does anyone want it? And I'm like, are you kidding me? And that wasn't enough. We took the whole china cabinet. So now in our basement, we have this old, like, 80-year-old china cabinet. And we have all this chinaware. And I'm terrified to use it. We haven't used it yet, right? And, and I think about this mainly because I have children. And I think about set apart, I think about holy, there's a point to this. And, and actually, with this idea of the, these special utensils, these special silverware, this actually goes back all the way to the tabernacle. You know, they, they consecrated or sanctified these items in the temple for specific use. And, and I think about us as the church and being set apart and, and, and being holy, and, and sometimes I think about that chinaware, it should be so distinct, there's no mistake in it. But, but so often we look like we just are one of the plates that, that are the same as the world. And so often we look so similar, it's even hard to tell the difference. And so when he's talking to the, the Corinthian Christians, he's talking to people that are in that area. And, and, and so if we personalize it to us who live in Michigan and America, yes, we live in the world. We are to be distinct from the world. If we adopt our views of money by the world then we're going to take wealth and use it to look, on, look down on those who have less of it. Likewise, to those who are impoverished, we're going to look down on those who have a lot. If we adopt our worldviews of politics, we're, we're going to take 
the people of a different party and we're going to choose to not love them and care for them and, and, and not meet them where they're at. We're going to choose to live differently with them. If we adopt our worldviews of worth from the world, it's going to be built on our accomplishments. It, it's going to be built on our looks. It's going to be built on, on temporal things. And it's so easy to adopt the ways of the world and allow that to make our identity. Brothers and sisters, if we are sanctified in Christ, we are to be holy, set apart. And I believe a lot of division happens because so many people place so much on things of this world that we forget that we are supposed to look at things above. We talked about that last week. And so that is something that, that we see when we're called together in Christ, we're called to be holy, we're called to be like that chinaware that looks different, that is different, that throws people off because it doesn't beat to the same drum of the world. Second thing we see is we're called to unity. It's what it says in the second part of verse 2. We're called to be saints together with all those in every place upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So we see here is often Paul will address groups of people within the church. Um, in, the, in Ephesians, he specifically addressed husbands and then wives and then parents and then children. In other letters, he speaks directly to leadership, to elders and deacons. But here at the start of 1 Corinthians and all the way throughout, he addresses the whole group. And I think he emphasizes the one church, the, the one unified group. I think he does it on purpose, to be honest. Because there's some real division happening. And we'll be talking about that in, in later weeks. And here in the second verse, or second half of verse 2, we see that it's calling all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord. And, and, and so there is some division happening, maybe even theologically or how they approach things. And so I want to give you an example of this. I was down in Louisville, and I was pumping gas, and uh, someone yelled uh, from the distance, Hey, go blue! I was like, huh, okay. Realized I was wearing my Michigan cap, okay? And so I look at him, I say, yeah, go blue, Right? And so in this situation, you know, again, this is not in the Michigan region. And so we have this connection, right? We're united over Maize and Blue, the true team that needs to be honored in every area of our country. And, uh, wow, boo, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know I'd be bowing today. <laughs> but here's the thing, I don't know that guy's name. I never have had a conversation with him, but because of my hat, we were united over something. We could be the most polar opposite individuals in every single category of life, but yet in that moment, we were united because of our passion for Michigan sports. And so you guys see where I'm going here? How much truer should it be for our church that... Jesus is Lord. You know, and there's going to be a church 10 minutes down the road. They're just traditional music. And, and us, we rattled this morning, right? And there's going to be churches down the road that have fog and, and, and lights moving. And, and, and there's going to be sermons that are more focused on, hey, we're, we're going to be, you know, 
just be more lighthearted and make you happy. And there's going to be some that are like, nobody smile ever, right? And, and so no matter where we are, there's going to be some different approaches. But we have our Lord Jesus. And, and we'd be foolish to say that we're the only church that has all the answers. And we're perfect. And so it's important, yes, we know our word, yes, we don't want people to be unbiblical, and that challenges us to know the word, but, but at the same point, we should be united, because Jesus is both our Lord and theirs. We're all team Jesus. Being called together in Christ means being called to unity with believers close to us and those in every place. And Paul, is he's really trying to press this because, again, they weren't perfect either. What was happening 2,000 years ago is still happening today. And so he calls them, hey, church, be united. And then, like he always does, he calls them to be gracious peacemakers. He calls them to be gracious peacemakers. This is what it says, grace to you and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. These final words in Paul's greeting are spoken as a blessing to the Corinthian audience. He wishes for them to experience God's grace and peace. You know, uh, the grace part and the peace part, you know, he's, he's praying for that and he knows where it comes from. It, it comes from the Father. And it comes through Jesus, our mediator. And I found this quote by Gordon Fee, and I think he says it best. He's a New Testament scholar. It's a little lengthy, so, so stay with me. He says, in a sense, this verse sums up the whole of Paul's theological outlook. The sum total of God's active activity towards human creatures is found in the word grace. God has given himself to us mercifully and bountifully in Christ. Nothing is deserved. Nothing can be achieved. And the sum total of those benefits as they are experienced by the recipients of God's grace is found in the word peace. Meaning well-being, wholeness, welfare. The one peace flows from the other, grace. And they both together flow from God our Father and were made effective in human history through our Lord Jesus Christ. You, know, you could see what, what Fee is trying to capture and that's almost the totality of Paul's theology which is how God deals with us graciously in Christ. You see that there? <laughs> If God is so gracious with us and wants us to have peace, how much more should we be that with each other? How much more should we be that with our church community? We need to be living as gracious peacemakers. Not just looking and, and always asserting and testing What's wrong? Like maybe, maybe you walked in. And you say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in with a critical attitude, and I'm gonna come in looking for something." Guess what? You're gonna find something. <laughs> if you come looking, you will find. If you come looking into a conversation 
with someone that you're not at peace with and, and looking for more war, you're going to find it. But if you come looking for peace, there's a much better chance that you're going to find reconciliation. And so we need to go into our relationships, into our brotherhoods, our sisterhoods, and, and look to be gracious peacemakers. It's a good morning, actually. Um, I, I have, I've had a couple people visit me uh, from the Louisville area, Jeffersonville, all the suburbs. And, and actually, I have a buddy of mine who is here this morning. And he has served in the student ministry, I want to say, uh, at, at that church, at Eastside Christian Church. He served there for, I want to say, 26 years. Is that right? Okay, look, he's over there. I tried to do that on purpose to see, make everyone look at him. Okay, so... Uh, 26 years. We played a lot of games, okay, when we, were, when we were down there. We played a lot of different games. Some of them, I'm not going to repeat. I like my job here, okay? But, uh, but one of them, I remember, was this sponge game. And what we'd do is we'd have teams, and sometimes life groups would compete against each other. What they would do is they would take the sponge, and they would put it on their head, and they'd dip it into a bucket of water, and then run all the way down to another bucket, and then squeeze it in that bucket, Right? And so, just imagine, we're having fun, and, and they take it, they dump it, and when they're running, running over, it, it's spilling all over their face, and, and there's water everywhere, and by the time they get to the other bucket, there's very little water left, right? So it's, people are sludging around, and we're having a good time, and, and it was a fun game, and we'd always try different games. Uh, the sponge, when it comes down to it, it just didn't hold enough water, so it would take a lot of different turns of people going through to fill up that bucket, even though they started out with a lot of water. And, and so it leaked. And, and so this is the important thing I want you to take from this story. You know, because of that sponge and, and the water leaking, people were limited in what they're able to give because they were limited in what they're able to take. And this is similar to the dynamic behind our ability to be gracious peacemakers in the world and in the church. To the degree that we've received grace is to the degree in which we can be gracious with others. And so maybe we struggle with grace because we, don't, we, we haven't truly received it. Or maybe we are way too hard on ourselves, so we're hard on everyone else. Or maybe we're at a place where we're just, we're falling into a, a spiraling depression where we don't see joy in anything. So to the degree that we are at peace with God is to the degree we can be at peace with others. And I know that it, at times there's not going to be peace. I get that. But nine times out of ten, there's a way. Unlike the sponge-filled amount of water those kids had, we have an infinite supply of grace. God's grace is inexhaustible. And he wants to shower us with so much more. And so I want to ask a question and get you thinking. Who is it that you need to be gracious with? in the church it's easy to complain and, and grieve about all the di division in the world 
And I get it, guys. I get it. It's easy to lament and say, oh, man. And, and I believe there's a part in there where there's a, there's a righteous anger. But if it's true that we are more divided now than ever, then that means we have a bigger opportunity now than ever. We as a church are called to be united under Christ and to show the world our togetherness. Even Jesus said in his word in John that the world will see our unity and they'll believe. And I know we got a lot of weeks to dig through this, so we have a lot more. But when the church is fractured and split and divided, the only one who it hurts is the name of Christ and us. Now at this point, some of us might be like, man, I'm a mess. I struggle. You know, I've, I've made some mistakes with unity. I've made some mistakes with relationships. You know, where and how is God going to use me? I found this online, and uh, it just reminds us that the people that we read about in the Word, they were pretty messed up. They had some serious issues. And so there's this list of the different people and the mistakes they made, and it just reminded me, man, Guys, we are so covered by grace. It says this, Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. Dave had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. Let's once again hear the call of Christ to come together. We are holy. We are set apart people. We are united under one Lord. And we are recipients and givers of grace. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.